Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Please visit us at consumerguide.com. That's consumerguide.com. Be sure to check out our 2020 Best Buy Picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you are looking for a new car or crossover. You will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we've been driving here at Consumer Guide, plus all sorts of other fun auto related stuff. And if you have missed an episode of two, again, unforgivable, but if you've missed an episode of the Car Stuff podcast, you can stream back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. You want to do that. All right, let's see who's online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk. She is Jill Simonello. Hey, Jill. Hello. How's it going? It is going very well. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm a little overwhelmed by all the news today. There, There is a lot of news going on today. Um, you know, yes, a lot of news. So we've got some really good discussion coming up today. We do. We have a lot of stuff. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to prioritize that news. And you know who's <laughs> good at prioritizing stuff? Damon. He is the senior editor here at Consumer Guide. <laughs> he is president of the Midwest Automotive Media Association, and he cuts his own hair. Hey, welcome, Damon. <laughs> hey, you actually have a correct fact for once. <laughs> I, I do cut my own hair and have been for, it's probably been close to 20 years that I've cut my own hair. I was going to say seven months, um, but no, that explains nope, why. Nope. Yeah, my, my home haircutting uh, well preceded the pandemic. That is, that is a money saver. It is. Although, and I tried to, you know, with the pandemic, we tried to get the, I've done it a couple times with the, my two sons, but I don't think my wife uh, is a fan of, of the kids having buzz cuts. So <laughs> see, uh, I, I'm, I'm out 25 bucks every four weeks on the clock. That's, that's just the schedule. So you are 300 bucks ahead of me per annum. Yeah, you, I think you, but you go to a good barber shop and you get kind of a deluxe experience. That's you've obviously decided that's worth the money for you. And I would say it is right. I love it. If you're in Chicago, if you're near Arlington Heights, Locasico Barbershop, that's on Northwest Highway. <laughs> this is free. Those guys are awesome. And you want to see uh, I, Frank. Frank is the best barber in the Northwest suburbs. And I, I appreciate guys... that kind of old school. Yeah. Like yeah. it's an experience, right? You get you. It's 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 uh, manly pampering. Yep. Yep. You guys are lucky because if we want womanly pampering, it's like $300 for a haircut. So um, I all I have to say is it's totally not fair. (laughs) Hey guys, he leads the global vehicle forecasting team at Auto Forecast Solutions and hosts the new AFS Vision podcast. He is Sam Fiorani and he joins us after the first break. Sam is going to help us filter through all this news today, but I think we should talk about one of those stories. And, And Damon, you just wrote about it. I did. And yeah, well, speaking of pampering, uh, Jeep <laughs> unveiled a good transition. Jeep, Good transition. Yes. Yeah. Jeep unveiled a new 
<laughs> Jeep unveiled a new concept vehicle today uh, that is a precursor of uh, production vehicles actually plural to come next year and that's the jeep grand wagoneer concept uh grand wagoneer should be a very familiar name if you followed jeep's history at all uh they started out with the Wagoneer in 1963, kind of one of the early SUVs before they were called such a thing. And then in 1984, they came out with the Grand Wagoneer, which you could probably credit as one of the first luxury SUVs. Um, those had the wood-sided trim, um, very uh, kind of traditional. The overall profile of that vehicle hadn't really changed much from its 1963 debut, uh, but most people remember those 80s Grand Wagoneers. So at long last, Jeep has dusted off that uh, nameplate again and has applied it to an all new, large, extra large, actually, three row SUV. And the Grand Wagoneer had a luxury uh, uh, aim to it. They've with this new concept, they've pushed even further in that direction. This is a fully premium uh, concept and the production vehicle will be as well. Uh, so they are fully aiming for vehicles like the Cadillac Escalade and the Lincoln Navigator with this new concept. Now, for people who don't remember the Jeep Grand Wagoneer, John Candy drove one in the great outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible movie, cool cars. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think uh, Damon hit on something that is a really, really important distinction. Um, this is a concept car. And, and I think a lot of people are calling it like a 2022 model. And, and while this, you know, the, the production vehicle will likely look very similar to, to you, what do you think this is. I do. I mean, okay. this is just a like the, the the photos are too detailed. You know the um, you know when you go to an auto show and you see a car that's like pretty much close to production and they call it a concept, you're like, oh, this this is this is this is it. Um, I, I mean, obviously, there's going to be some details that will probably change, but I mean, if you look throughout the the photos, um, you know, I thought it was interesting the number of screens that it has. And, and I think mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the passenger screen, it has, I think it's a 10.25 inch passenger screen. And then there's, uh, I'm assuming there'll be available like rear uh, passenger screens. And, and so, you know, they're really trying to up their game and, and, and build something that is different. And, um, but, but I, I think it's very important that you called it a concept because, uh, you know, I, I've looked at some articles that say that it's, you know, the 2022 Jeep Grand Wagoneer. And while it's slated for produ production in 2022, this is not actually the production vehicle. There's still some right. room. Right. This is, this is, Jeep is, is seemingly following a strategy that uh, Honda is kind of standard practice for Honda and Acura. They, when they roll out a new redesigned vehicle, they typically do it uh, in auto show form as a prototype mm -hmm. where it's about 85 to 90% yeah. as it will appear on the showroom Very floor, close. but it will have an amazing pearl paint job. 
uh, some upsized wheels, maybe some thinner rear view mirrors, just typical kind of concept car, blue sky stuff. But the overall shape and detail of the car, very similar to the production vehicle that typically rolls out, uh, you know, half a year down the road. So I suspect mm -hmm. that Jeep is following that same strategy with this. I believe this Grand Wagoneer concept is at least 85% of, of what the forthcoming production vehicle will look like. What will be very interesting to see is just how many of the uh, blue sky features of this concept vehicle see the light of day on the production one. And the one I'm most curious about is, like you mentioned, Jill, that passenger mm -hmm. side uh, dashboard screen. We'll see if that, uh, very curious to see if that makes it to the light of day uh, on the production version. Yeah, we yeah. should talk a little bit about what this vehicle is in the Jeep lineup because Jeep has been really successful selling expensive vehicles. The Grand Cherokee, uh, their midsize SUV, has been around largely unchanged for a long time, and they still move more than 200,000 units mm -hmm. of that a year. Mm -hmm. And the transaction price on those can break $50,000 pretty easily. So their dealers and, and Jeep itself, there's some, there's some experience they're selling expensive vehicles. What they're going after here now are the big SUVs, and these mm -hmm. are huge profit centers. Um, the Chevy Tahoe and Suburban, the GMC Yukon and Yukon XL, obviously the Cadillac Escalade and the Ford Expedition, and then the Lincoln Navigator. These vehicles make huge money for those makers. And, and mm -hmm. I've once heard a number for the Escalade that each Escalade is about $15,000 in pure profit for General Motors. So you can yep. see why this would be such a tantalizing opportunity for Jeep to get into this segment. But there's this is the Grand Wagoneer concept, but we're aware, we're pretty sure that there's going to be a Wagoneer position just below it, which mm -hmm. will be the there same is. vehicle, but, but lower yep. content. So they're right. really right. covering the whole thing. And then I think uh, the three of us were privy to a presentation where there was suggestion, though not co no conversation, I'm sorry, confirmation, that they will do two wheelbases of this as well. So there will be a regular mm -hmm. standard version and a long wheelbase version. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, this isn't the first time Jeep has tried to get into the three-row SUV market. Do you remember right. the Commander? <laughs> I don't yes. want to. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned it in the write-up. Yeah. And honestly, it's kind of astonishing that they just, especially given the, the boom in SUVs over the past decade, that it has been a decade since Jeep mm -hmm. has had a true three-row SUV. Yeah. And it seems like such an opportunity for them. They're, they're now the SUV people. So, yeah, it's obvious that the, this segment had been neglected for them. Additionally, I think the next generation of the, of the Grand Cherokee, the midsize vehicle, will probably appear with a third row. That seems like an opportunity they've missed. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, it'll be they you know, it'll be interesting to see because the press release for this Grand Wagoneer concept states that Wagoneer is going to be a portfolio a portfolio of vehicles so exactly what that means i think we c it's a safe bet to say there will be a premium luxury grand wagoneer which by the way uh they've already talked about in optioned up form the price will crest six figures for that yeah. um, so again very right in the wheelhouse of of escalade and uh even land rover range rover mm -hmm. um so they are they are not pulling punches with making this a truly premium vehicle in that grand wagoneer trim i would imagine the wagoneer uh, will be same basic platform, but not quite the luxury level. And as you said, Tom, per perhaps a shorter wheelbase. Beyond that, I'm curious if there will be 
uh, additional vehicles branded Wagoneer. They, they've implied that that Wagoneer name will be their sort of premium arm. So we'll mm. see how that shakes out. What, what, would, what vehicle would that be? We don't know. Yeah, I, I, it, it, the Wagoneer name might be uh, applied to, I don't know if it could be a sub-brand along the, the lines of uh, Denali. Again, the, the press release sure. said portfolio, exactly what mm-hmm. that means. If it's, if it's a portfolio of vehicles based strictly on this three-row, uh, which will probably be a, a Ram pickup-based platform, Right. Um, and, and that's something else we should mention. This concept, they've said it has a plug-in hybrid powertrain, but beyond that, yep. have given zero specifics. Yeah. So most of the speculation I've seen was that because uh, we're fairly certain that this will be a Ram pickup-based chassis, it would follow then that uh, Ram pickup powertrains will likely be offered in it. I think yeah. so. And, and Damon, to your point about them not having mentioned the powertrain, except for having thrown the hybrid term around, I was recently reading a review of the new S-Class, not a review, but a, but a summary of the presentation. Mercedes-Benz new S-Class, that's their big flagship sedan, was recently introduced. And the author of the article I was reading, and I think it was a car and driver, had noted that one half hour into the presentation, no mention of the engine. <laughs> Just none. <laughs> we live in different times, kids. Well, but I mean, I think that also speaks to the fact that this is just a concept and it's, you know, it's, it's close to reality, but it's not as close as people are are putting it at. And, um, you know, it's also worth noting that in conjunction with launching the Grand Wagoneer concept today, Jeep also launched the Wrangler 4xe plug-in hybrid. So, I I mean, Jeep is definitely making a push towards electrification and, Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 I, I don't think that's obviously going to be the only powertrain in the Grand Wagoneer. Um, but I, I think you're you're onto no. something saying that yeah, it'll probably definitely. follow the Ram lineup. Right. I think it's a safe bet to say that a plug-in hybrid powertrain will become available in the Grand Wagoneer at some point. Whether that happens right away or a little bit down the road is is an open question. But one of the things that Jeep specifically stated in its press materials for this Grand Wagoneer concept was that they plan to offer electrified vehicle, uh, I'm sorry, electrified versions of all their vehicles within yep. the next few years. So yep. that's that's coming. One other David, thing I wanted oh, one other thing I wanted to mention uh, about the this, you know, focus push toward the pure luxury uh, strata. I think this of this Grand Wagoneer is a vehicle that plays to FCA's strengths mm-hmm. because I'm very looking forward to see what kind of lavish cabin they come up with for this production version. Yeah. Because I think we will all agree that the redesigned ram 1500s it was redesigned for 2019 the Mm -hmm. up level interiors in those ram pickups are astonishingly good Mm -hmm. um and so when they're aiming for a price strata that is going to pass a hundred thousand dollars think of what those creative uh interior designers can come up with at that price level and you know something about that too the 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 
the Ram pickup interiors, which are, as you noted, stellar. They're beautiful, they, and they're fully luxury level. You would not be disappointed to find those in a $100,000 car. Um, my question, though, or not my question, my observation is that these interiors are very specifically Ram. I think they've done a great job of branding it, and I want to mm -hmm. see what Jeep interiors look like, if the, if the same FCA designers can go to town with a Jeep theme and make these interiors look specifically Jeep and yet super high end. It could be awesome. I yeah. think they can do that. And they have, there's uh, the, I think they hit just the right mark with the Grand Wagoneer in that there are subtle tips of the cap to Jeep's heritage, the seven slot grill. There are, there, there's no, uh, wood side paneling straight down the side of the vehicles. Although let's take a bet on how long it takes some aftermarket company <laughs> to come up with that after these production vehicles launched. Oh, if yeah. Jeep doesn't do it on Absolutely. their own. Oh yeah. But the, the concepts interior is fantastic. They've got mm -hmm. kind of subtle teak wood accents and uh, the ends of the dash say like established 1963. So, because that's when the first Wagoneer was introduced. So, you know, FCA's designers, interior guys, they just have tremendous attention to detail. And I suspect that that will be the case with this, where there'll be all kinds of fun, uh, brand appropriate Easter eggs and stuff that will help set the interior apart. Yeah. All right. We're out of time here. But Jill, you said you had put together a photo gallery of the concept. I did. Um, okay. I pretty much took every photo I could get my hands on and uh, posted it. So um, I will I will send that to you guys to get on the Facebook page. Yeah, we'll get that on the Facebook page, and we will link to it from our blog post uh, for this episode. And, of course, Damon's update, or not update, but Damon's introduction to this vehicle as well. So, cool. We will talk more about this probably with our guest, Sam, right after the break, uh, which we're going to take right now. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, this is the time of the show when I strongly suggest that you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain you. Also, I have way fewer followers than Jill, and I lose sleep <laughs> over this, so you can help me here. All right. Our guest today is a lifelong car enthusiast. He has sold cars, worked on cars, written about cars, and written about working on cars. For the last quarter century, he has been a well-respected analyst covering the automotive industry. Today, he leads the global vehicle forecasting team at Auto Forecast Solutions and hosts the excellent new AFS Vision podcast. He also has the nation's largest collection of 80s pop and rock LP. Uh, LPs, welcome to the show, Sam Fiorani. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Now, Sam, because this is your second visit, I am now going to presumptuously call you a friend of the show. I hope that's cool. That that is cool. I'm just competing with John Beale for the most number of most times to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom, did you get those? Tom, did you get those uh, blazers made up for the multi-time guests? Yeah. You know, the two, three, four-timer club. Is that? Is that? Are we going to go through with that? I think they're yellow. I'm yellow blazers. Yellow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You got, a, you got a good cost break on the yellow ones, right? I did. Here's the bad news. They all fit me, so they're all six oh. <laughs> I, I can I can get off my diet for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
Thanks for taking one for the team. Uh, so we have a bunch of questions for you, but Damon wanted to cover something really quick before we got yeah, started. Actually, yes. Speaking of, well, we've got a lot of important stuff to get to today, Sam. But speaking of diets, there's one uh, really important thing I want to bring up, and that is the proper way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because I know you have a strong opinion about this. <laughs> I, I do. I do. It is name brand, uh, <laughs> the name brand peanut butter, the jelly. And the peanut butter must be creamy. Must be creamy. You're not a chunky guy. No, 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 no. Uh, cr crunchy peanut butter just just ruins it. <laughs> okay. And homemade bread is the big part of it, right? Oh, uh, homemade bread. If, if you have access to it, homemade bread makes the sandwich. It is it is perfect. Okay. I I'm down. I'm in agreement with you, except for one thing. I am spoiled by the. Uh, natural stir peanut butter. I'm spoiled for, for Jif, Skippy, any of that stuff after having the, uh, where it's just peanuts and salt. It's kind of a pain because you got to stir the oil, but I am, when I can't go back to the Skippy and Jif anymore, that's like spreading palm kernel oil on my sandwich. So that's my <laughs> point of differentiation from you. I'll try it. I'll try it on your, on your recommendation, but uh, you know, just okay. having to stir it up, it just turns me off to start with. So. It's it is a, it is labor intensive, but it's really only labor intensive the first time. You do have to keep it in the fridge too. But yeah, I would also point yeah. out that a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, one of the few foods that actually gets better when it's wrapped in a Ziploc bag in a lunchbox for half a day. That's true. Uh, That's you know, actually true. You know, when when my mother makes them for me to take to work, that is that is the best. <laughs> All right. I think we've got that covered. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think we're good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, Sam, I woke up this morning, uh, checked my phone for news, and I read something really interesting. And we, we, I had all sorts of questions for you lined up today. But this bit of news, as reported by, by Automotive News, uh, I think is, is, is kind of a headliner here. And the news is that General Motors and Honda are entering into an agreement to work cooperatively on a number of projects. What do you know about this? Well, uh, GM and Honda have been working together on and off for a number of years. Uh, GM bought V6 engines for uh, the Saturn back in like, back in 2003. That's right. Uh, back before Saturn had a V6 in their their crossover, and uh, and then they added a, a fuel cell joint venture back in 2017, which was supposed to lead to a production vehicle this year, but we haven't seen that one yet. Uh, however, uh, GM and I've been working on electric vehicles for at least the last six months. And uh, we expect to see uh, Acura and Honda models showing up within the next couple of years. Wow. So the other part of this, I guess, is that Honda has bought into or is going to be buying Altium batteries from General Motors? Correct. The, the new GM Honda joint venture cars or trucks, they, these are crossovers, uh, will use the GM Ultium batteries. So it'll, it'll use the latest technology that GM is developing right now. Uh, the, the memorandum of understanding with Honda also includes uh, potential purchasing, research and development, connective surfaces, uh, and uh, possibly even internal combustion engine sharing. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. And I guess I guess here's my my point here. I, I had sort of thought of General Motors as monolithic and big enough that it could do this alone. And by do this alone, I mean, continue to be a sort of a self-contained auto manufacturer. But increasingly, we're seeing mega mergers in the industry, right? FCA is trying to merge with Peugeot. Um, Renault and Nissan obviously are putting together something. And though not a merger, um, Toyota and Mazda are now producing vehicles together in the United States or will be shortly. Is, is there no manufacturer that is large enough to go it alone anymore? Well, GM is no longer GM. I mean, they've uh, consolidated their global footprint. They've pulled out of Western Europe. They're slowly pulling out of Eastern Europe. Uh, they have pulled out of smaller markets in Asia. But the problem is that this whole new world of electric vehicles is going to cost a ton of money. And yeah. getting the volumes up yeah. to pay for all that is, is going to take multiple manufacturers working together. And working with Honda and GM together brings that volume up to what should hopefully be a reasonable amount to make a profit. Well, profit is key because no one, as far as we know, makes money on electric cars yet, not even Tesla. Um, but this raises a question, I think, that you might have some some insight on. Volkswagen seems to be going it alone, and they have their MQB architecture that they're working on, and their plan to amortize that cost is to sell that architecture to other other manufacturers. Is that a plan that you think seems viable, and who are those customers? It's the MEB platform that ME, uh, has you. the electric vehicles. And, uh, and they, they do they, – they will have enough uh, – a lot of volume on their own between Audi and Volkswagen and Skoda and Seat and every other brand that they're going to uh, put this on. But they, the only vehicle manufacturer that we've heard of so far that is potentially using the MEB is uh, possibly Fisker and possibly hmm. Ford. Uh, Ford and Volkswagen have been working together on uh, internal combustion vehicles. So the uh -huh. possibility that they could share an electric vehicle is there too. Interesting. And, and, and going back to the General Motors thing, General Motors Honda thing, what is what is the largest possible extent of this tie up? Will we be seeing platform sharing between the two manufacturers? A absolutely. With the uh, electric vehicles, GM will be producing Honda and Acura electric vehicles in the United States in the next couple of years. On wow. GM okay. That's very interesting. Now, Honda. People, I think people think that Honda is a larger company than it is because it does pretty significant volume here in North America, but they're not actually that big in Japan, are they? It, Honda is the aberration for, for Japanese manufacturers. Uh, the Japanese market was traditionally really, really tightly held by the, com by the government, and Honda um, just decided they were going to break into this market despite not having permission to sell vehicles <laughs> back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the growth of that company in the face of the government saying that the Toyota, uh, Nissan, and Mitsubishi, Mazda were going to be the players in this field. But Honda has come to be a, a global player and uh, uh, one of the smaller companies, but one of the larger manufacturers in volume. I guess that leads me to a question about Mazda. Mazda is, had once had a relationship with Ford, um, and that seems to have been largely dissolved now, though they are now co-manufacturing products with Toyota. What of Mazda? Are they looking for a suitor? Do they have one that I'm forgetting about? 
If anything, it would be Toyota at this point because mm-hmm. the Japanese are trying to consolidate that marketplace so, so they can make sure that everybody is a winner in the end. Uh, Ford owned a, roughly a third of Mazda at, at its peak. And right. uh, it, the company itself dates back, I believe, about 100 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a Mazda owner myself, I'm a big fan. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the Mazda products in the United States are more uh, on the sporty side, more on the driver-oriented side. And uh, that's something that Toyota could use. Uh, their cars are, have been more appliance-like. And so uh, they're always fantastic cars, but they're, you don't buy a Toyota because you're a fan of Toyota's driving. You're a fan of Toyota's reliability. <laughs> right. Um, I'm curious, just getting back to the GM-Honda partnership, I think if you ask the average American, they would say that your Japanese makes, you know, uh, Honda, Toyota, uh, Mazda, Nissan. I think they would have the impression that those are more green focused uh, companies than Ford, GM or Chrysler. Um, But in this particular case, particularly uh, Ford and GM, wouldn't you agree that they are much further along in the path toward EV development than than the Japanese brands? The, the Japanese brands have not really focused on electric vehicles, mainly because they don't make money. Uh, they have been yeah. doing a lot of hybrids. They, you know, they introduced hybrids back to, over 20 years ago, and uh, the the EVs don't make any money in Japan. They don't make any money in the United States. You need an EV to sell in China. You need an EV to sell in Europe. Oh, yeah. And so that's why they're focusing on developing them now. And with the help of GM, they can uh, Honda can get into that place. But uh, Toyota is using partners around the world to get EVs built. Um, Mazda is using Toyota as a, as a helper to get hybrids and such. These companies, these small, especially these smaller companies, are looking to to the bigger players. And even the bigger players are looking for partners to to make sure that uh, they can do it without losing their shirts. You know, talking yeah. about small companies and electrification, Sam, what, what of tiny Subaru? What is their outlook? And, and are they going to partner up with somebody? Subaru already has a partnership with Toyota. Uh, right. Subaru is partially owned, and I forget the percentage, but it's a relatively small number, maybe about 10% owned by uh, Toyota. And uh, they, they do build vehicles together right now. They do share technology with hybrids and such. And uh, Subaru did have a couple of electric vehicles not too long ago, but I don't believe they were uh, the traditional, the the current uh, modern technology that we're expecting from uh, the Teslas of the world. Interesting. So, Sam, you saw the the news today or the release today of the, of the, uh, the Jeep Grand Wagoneer concept. What do you think of that? Uh, it's a vehicle I've been waiting for for a long time. The Jeep has... Since uh, Sergio Marchionne decided that Jeep was going to be a global player, the, the brand has expanded out up and down from their, their core group. So they have the, the Compass and then down to the Renegade. They're planning a car below that even. Uh, then moving upwards, they have the Cherokee, the Grand, Grand Cherokee, and now the Wagoneer. The Wagoneer will be the body-on-frame, full-size, three-row sport utility. This isn't even a crossover. This is a full truck. Right. And uh, we're fully expecting this to, to take on the Tahoes, the Escalades, the Navigators of the world. 
Sam, is there any any market for this vehicle outside of North America? Can can FCA do anything with it in China? Well, Jeep has Jeep has had a long history in China, and uh, trucks have become a big player in China on their own outside of Jeep. So the plan is that this will go to China, uh, but it'll probably have a larger market in the Middle East, in yeah. definitely in the United in North oh. America, and yeah. it is. Uh, it is a a large vehicle. This is the size of a Ram 1500. So this is not your uh, small European city vehicle. This is a this is a substantial truck. Do, do you think with the... with gas mileage to go with it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm very interested to see uh, to what extent we'll see some e-torque action. That's the the FCA mild hybrid system under the hood of the production version of that vehicle. Um, to what extent do you think the Grand Wagoneer is going to cut into the sales of those vehicles you had just mentioned, the the GMC Yukon and Yukon XL, the Chevy Tahoe and the Escalade? When they come out with both the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer, FCA intends on this being a high-volume vehicle. The problem is that full-size sport utilities have been a really hard nut to crack for anyone outside of General Motors. It has taken Ford Mm -hmm. uh, nearly 22, 23 years to be a substantial player in this market. When when you have uh, players like Toyota and Nissan who can't really break into it, if Toyota can't break into a market, that's an odd market for anyone. And uh, I... Hmm put doubts that anyone would break into it. Uh, but again, 25 years ago, I would have said that there was very little chance that the Ram truck would have been a player up with the <laughs> F-Series and the Silverado. Yeah. The the Grand Wagoneer concept, of course, they, uh, <laughs> Jeep says that it has a plug-in hybrid powertrain, uh, but provided zero specifics on the uh, what that this on what that powertrain might be? What's your sense on how probable it is for the production Grand Wagoneer to get a plug-in hybrid powertrain? Jeep has been rolling out the 4xe mm-hmm. concept, where they have a plug-in hybrid of the uh, Compass, the Renegade, and the Wrangler now. So I fully expect the Wagoneer to follow suit with that, uh, especially when you get to markets like like China, like uh, if they were to take this to Europe, where they need the higher fuel economy in order to sell the market, to sell the vehicle in those markets. Uh, The the idea that it pollutes less, it gets better gas mileage, and the potential of being able to go zero emissions to roll into certain cities that prevent you from driving into Paris, for for an example, uh, without emissions. Um, it, I expect this model to definitely get that. And I think that's a, a confusing thing that the Grand Wagoneer concept should evolve into the Wagoneer production vehicle and the Grand Wagoneer oh. will be larger. Oh, mm. okay. you think so? Interesting. Mm. We fully expect the Wagoneer to be like uh, Escalade size, whereas the Grand Wagoneer would be Escalade ESV size. Gotcha. Oh. Mm. So I have a question for you going back to, you know, the Jeep's electrification plans. Um, you know, you mentioned the the three vehicles that currently have the 4xe badging, which, you know, the Wrangler just launched today. 
but the range is only 25 miles. The all electric range is only 25 miles. Is that an effective amount of range, especially when you're talking about something like Grand Wagoneer? It is if you're if you're going to cities that have prevented you from driving inside. If you're going to drive, if you're coming from outside of Paris, let's say, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you need to get into the city, you shut it off at the at the end of Paris and you roll in EV only. You're probably mm-hmm. not going to drive more than 20, 25 miles inside the city before you have to leave. Sure. Uh, if you're living in the city, you might have a city car instead. But if you're right. in the suburbs... It makes more sense that you would have a larger uh, polluting vehicle. If I'm living in the city, I'm, i I got to find a way I can drive anywhere at any time. So I right. might have a smaller vehicle, uh, a full EV even possibly. Excellent. Well, that, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because with the 4xe, um, I noticed they have the, um, like the save function. So a lot of the plug-in hybrids, you either are using the um, electrification or you're not, and there's no way to necessarily save that. But the 4xe lets you hit a button and go full engine. And then, you know, like you said, flip a switch when you enter a city and you're all electric. So that's a very good right. point. It's very interesting. But there has been talk about geofencing so that when you go into a city that it automatically switches into EV mode so that oh, you cool. don't pollute when you get in there. Excellent. Sam, we are out of time, as we often uh, find ourselves, but you have a new podcast that you should talk about, the AFS Vision Podcast. What is that, and where can we find that? Uh, We've started a podcast and a series of videos so that we could educate uh, other industry members about what's going on, like we just released one on the negotiations for Canadian labor. Uh, The videos are on YouTube, and the podcasts are on your favorite podcast uh, source so that we can send out the, the Auto Forecast Solutions Vision or AFS Vision podcast. Yeah, I've been watching the podcast and listening to the podcast, and I feel smarter for having done that. They are <laughs> they are short, succinct, and, and packed with information. And anyone who loves the car industry or just cares about it really should check these out. Sam, as always, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. We'll have to do it again soon. Uh, but thanks for joining us and have a great rest of your week. You guys take care. It's great talking to you. We'll talk to you soon. That was Sam Fiorani with Auto Forecast Solutions. We're going to take a break and be right back. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Delighted that you're still with us here today. It is quiz time, but before... Before the quiz, Jill, why don't you tell the kids how they can follow you in the in the social media place? In in the social media place, the yeah. yes, um, I am on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok um, under the name of Jill Simonello. So just my name at J I L L C I M I N I L L O. That's yeah, how you can I find me. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I could spell it again, you know, and, and do the, you know, C-I-M as in Mary, you know, that whole thing, if you like. Yeah. So, Damon, you've, you've been. <laughs> no. <laughs> Damon, you've been twerking on TikTok. How, do, how would people watch that? No, you, you, I said Twitter and you heard twerking. Oh. No. I'm on Twitter. They uh, sound I don't, a lot alike. I don't think, 
they they do again easy easy mistake to make but yes i've i am not twerking i have never twerked but i have tweeted on twitter and my account is damon bell likes cars i've heard of that mm-hmm. i've heard of that all right kids you know what time it is right twerk time yes <laughs> <laughs> it is time for the, the Karst of Power Quiz. I was going to say, cue the music. No. <laughs> Today's topic that you could never possibly guess is front or rear wheel drive. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh, I sent okay. some typical, I sent some Tom uh, diabolical questions here. A couple. Your trademark. A couple. Yes. Um, uh, who goes first this week? I think. Was it me? Uh, go ahead. Yes. Uh, right. I'm like, it might be me. I don't know. Hey, Jill. Hey, what? Is the BMW i3, that is BMW's small all-electric vehicle, oh. is that front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive? I'm going to go with front-wheel drive. All right. Damon? <sighs> I'm going to say rear-wheel drive. Damon, you are correct. Damon, <sighs> And if you remember my stories about driving that thing in the snow, uh, <laughs> you would remember with its with its yeah. pizza cutter sized tires. Yeah, yeah. I was I not privy to those stories. Feel happy. What, Jill? I'm sorry. I said I was not privy to those stories. Oh, they were good stories. All <laughs> right, Damon has one point, and Damon goes first on this one. Damon, the Honda Ridgeline, which Honda calls the mid-sized adventure truck. Um, if not all-wheel drive, is that vehicle front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive? Uh, front-wheel drive. Jill, how about you? What do you think? Uh, I think it is based on the Honda Pilot. Uh, so I'm also, and I think that's front-wheel drive, so I'm also going to say front-wheel drive. You both get a point. Very good. Yes. <laughs> the score is two to one. We go to the third question. And uh, Jill, you go first on this one. Jill, the Dodge Nitro available in American dealerships between 2007 and 2012, was that front wheel drive or rear wheel drive? Okay, this is sad and pathetic. I should totally know the answer to this because that is actually the vehicle that I learned to drive a manual transmission on. Whoa, I'm sorry. Um, I know. Uh, and uh, I had a very kind coworker who uh, took me out and uh, let me kill his car, um, literally and figuratively, bless his heart. Um, ugh, I'm going to say front wheel drive. All right. Damon? <sighs> I'm going to agree, say front wheel drive. No, that was rear wheel drive. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. that was a mechanical ah. clone of the Jeep Liberty, if you guys remember that car. Yeah. All right, the score is still two to one in favor of Damon. We move to question four. Uh, Damon, you go first on this one. Uh, the Yugo, available in the United States between 1985 and 1992. Uh, <laughs> was the Yugo front-wheel drive or rear-wheel drive? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Again, I was correct. Diabolical. <laughs> oh, that's such a... Esoteric question? Yeah. Boy, I'm going to, just given how archaic that car was, even when it was new, I will take a flyer and say rear wheel drive. All right, Jill? What was the year again? I was 85 through 92. Oh, 
because I'm trying to think of when front wheel drive became prolific. Um, uh, any, 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 um, I, you know, I'll be different. I'll say front wheel drive. That's not working for me, <laughs> but I'll say front wheel drive anyway. <laughs> well, Jill, you're correct. <gasps> ah, the Yugo was based on Fiat's 128 architecture, and ah. yeah, that, that that architecture was old and everywhere, but it was front drive. Huh. The score is now two to two. Uh, this one goes to who went first? This one goes to uh, Jill, right? Jill, yeah, yep. Jill, the Jaguar X-Type. That was a sedan and wagon sold in the United States. Uh, compact. Was that front wheel drive, or rear wheel drive, or were all of them all wheel drive? Oh, I don't think they were all all wheel drive. Um, man, this was uh, this came out at the very beginning of when I started writing about cars, um, and everybody hated it. I seem to recall. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say front wheel drive just because I think most Jaguar. Well, I'm, I'm not even gonna say. I'm gonna say front wheel drive. All right, Damon. <sighs> I know that it was front wheel drive based, but now you got me wondering if they were all all wheel drive. I'm I'm going to agree with Jill and say front wheel drive. Yeah, both are wrong and right. Uh, <laughs> so they the, were all all wheel drive. Yes, the Jaguar X Drat. was based on the Ford Contour or the Ford Mondeo in Europe, uh, which was front drive architecture. And at the time, they were afraid that it was scandalous to Americans that a front wheel drive Jaguar would ever be sold here. Yep. So they just went with all wheel drive on all of those vehicles to avoid the scandal. Mm -hmm. um, so I can give you guys both a point or not, but we're tied at 2 2 when we go to the bonus question. Uh, the bonus question counts. All right. Uh, who goes first? Me. You would think as moderator, I would keep track of that, but I don't. <laughs> You'd think we remember from last week who went first, but we never But we don't, to. yeah. Okay, Damon, um, in keeping with our front-wheel drive uh, topic, uh, which of the following is not currently avail an available Captain Crunch breakfast cereal variety? <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, so glad that we're gonna we're we either one of us is gonna potentially win or lose on this question based on guessing. <laughs> Damon, uh, your options are Cotton Candy Crunch, Red, White, and Blue Crunch, All Berries Crunch, or Banana Tornado Crunch. I will say Banana Tornado Crunch. All right. You're saying that's the fake. That is the fake. Okay. What, what was the first one again? Cotton Candy Crunch. Uh, they all sound awful. Um. <laughs> God, I don't remember the last time I had cereal. Uh, ooh, because I feel like berries has definitely got to be one. Um, read through them one more time for me. Cotton candy, mm -hmm. red, white, and blue, all berries, or banana tornado? I'm going to go red, white, and blue. Okay, Damon wins on the well, I was trying to think which one sounds normal, and and that was the red, white, and blue one. So, all right, tornado. Yeah, oh, so you're doing tornado. some reverse psychology there. I, I was trying yeah. it, failed miserably. Clearly, to my ears, the cotton candy, cotton candy sounds horribly redundant because cotton candy is just sugar. So, <laughs> it's sugar flavored. All right, hey Damon. Yes. 
Hey, Damon, what's going on this week at the CG Daily Drive blog that people should well, check we've out? Well, we've got our first look of the Grand Wagoneer concept that we talked about in the first segment. And we've also got... It is a big deal. Yes. And uh, <laughs> pictures are very worth it. We, we've got uh, 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 Jeep's media photos, which has a very cool uh, uh, modernist uh, upscale house in the background. So yeah, uh, I, I appreciate the uh, the photos. Yeah. Um, so we've got that first look article. We've also got test drive reviews of a 2020 Cadillac CT4 premium luxury. Um, that's Cadillac's new compact sedan uh, we've got a quick spin review of the 2021 toyota supra 2.0 that's the new for 21 four-cylinder version of the supra which dare i say it i might actually prefer for city oh. driving um oh. i sacrilegious probably especially since the <laughs> six-cylinder gets a big horsepower infusion for 2021 but that <laughs> bmw4 is so good and frankly i think super underrated at uh i think that 255 horsepower rating seems a little low uh, <laughs> but uh impressive four-cylinder and a really nice balanced uh version of the supra that also has the nice benefit of being, I think, at least eight grand cheaper than the the six cylinder one. So we've got a, a test drive of that. Now you actually, um, you saw I, that I had an epiphany about that vehicle last night, right? Egg yolk. Egg yolk. It's the color. Of egg yolk. It kind of is now that you mention it. It's officially called nitro yellow, and it's an extra four hundred and twenty five <laughs> bucks. But now that you mention it, it. I, I can see why Toyota probably didn't want to call it that, but it does look sort of yoky. Yeah. The, well, the Supra Yoke Edition is probably a tough sell. <laughs> it, it could be. Well, and I actually get this vehicle tomorrow, so oh. um, I, I don't know if it'll be the egg yolk yellow version, but oh, I uh, hope it I'll, is. I'll, I'll be <laughs> I'll be curious to to see if I like it better in the city as well. All right. Cool. Um, and we've got a review flashback on a vehicle that was kind of a dud when it was new, but I think has gained something of a, about as good a cult following as you can have for a disappointing sort of also ran <laughs> vehicle. And that's the 2003-2004 Mercury Marauder, which was uh, an Impala SS wannabe based on Mercury's full-size Grand Marquis uh, platform. Um, yeah, yeah and that kind of that just didn't land. No one wanted that car when it came out. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate the concept. They just didn't take it far enough, I think. But honestly, I would I would totally drive one now. I think it's I the too. styling has aged really well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, in terms of outrageous concept vehicles, uh, Tom did a forgotten concept article on the Dodge Ram T-Rex 6x6 concept. Uh, that was actually something that uh, was shown at auto shows, uh, actually debuted at the 1997 SEMA show. As crazy as this six-wheeler uh, heavy-duty pickup is uh, then and now, oddly, I could see them. <laughs> it just seems like something this nuts would almost be closer to reality today than mm -hmm. it was back then. So I would agree with that. All right. Yeah. Kids, we've done it again. We have burned through a full hour. Congratulations on <laughs> making it sound like we knew what we were talking about. 
All right. Uh, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff podcast. I'd like to thank some people here real quick before we go. Special thanks to Sam Fiorani of Auto Car Forecast Solutions. Uh, he's smarter than us. Special thanks to Jill Simonello. <laughs> Special thanks to Damon Bell. And producer Lady B, who's joining us for the first time today, thank you, and the good folks here at WCPT AM 820 in Chicago. As always, thanks to my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. We're trying to schedule them to come back on the show sometime soon, so we'll make that happen. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Let us talk some more about cars next week.